Welcome to the Padea Podcast, which is a podcast from the Luther Center for Ethics and Public Engagement. In each episode, we ask Luther College alumni to reflect on the college experience by answering questions about meaningful, awkward, or pivotal memories they have from their time at Luther. We hope these conversations inspire current students to navigate their own awkward moments and encourage other alumni to connect their Luther experience to where they are now. I'm Dominique, and in our third episode, we're asking an alumnus about what happens when you don't follow the rules in college. College is a time of transition and growth, which also makes it a time for mistakes. One of the most important lessons you can learn at college is how to navigate the consequences of your decisions. Today, we're talking with Jake DeBacher, who is a music major and a religion minor. Originally from Madison, Wisconsin, Jake graduated from Luther in 2013. While at Luther, he focused primarily on music theory and composition. After four years of, you know, studying music pretty intensely at Luther, I was sort of left with the feeling that, you know, I love all this. I love everything that I've learned and played, but I don't think that I have the drive to make a career out of it, especially with um, music composition. I mean, it's a pretty... the modern composition scene is a pretty small world, uh, relatively speaking. And I just didn't feel like I had the the talent or the drive for it, honestly. Uh, but, you know, the the blessings of a liberal arts school, I was pretty well prepared to try to branch out into other areas and figure out how I could leverage the, the skills that I had learned in the music program in other areas. Um, so I went from Luther, after I graduated, I moved out to Washington, D.C., first for an internship at a magazine called The New Republic. And then uh, I spent some time in the publishing industry. I worked for a literary agency in D.C. for a few years and then switched to kind of freelancing and falling back on some of the skills that I developed at Luther. Uh, I taught piano lessons. I um, helped people with their book proposals and manuscripts and just kind of did all sorts of odd jobs, writing and editing and doing little things like that. I eventually decided that I wanted health insurance and a career. <laughs> so that was how I ended up going to law school uh, starting in 2018 out in Washington, D.C. And since I graduated law school in 2021, I've been pretty much working on investigating cyber crimes. So pretty far afield from, from music at Luther, but uh, it is all, all, I think, kind of in line with following, you know, what you're curious about. And uh, that's what the liberal arts are all about. Yeah, absolutely. I can completely relate to the idea of choosing a career um, because you want to actually have health insurance. Yeah, that definitely yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is rough out there. And it's, uh, yeah, when I hit 26 and got kicked off my parents' life insurance, I realized, okay, I need to start making some decisions that, uh, you know, focus on more than just what seems immediately fascinating to me. <laughs> Sure, sure. So were you part of any ensembles or student groups when you were at Luther? Yeah, definitely. The The biggest group that I was a part of was the uh, jazz orchestra. I was in the jazz band my first year and then the jazz orchestra for the subsequent three years where I played saxophone, uh, which was great. We had to tour around the U.S. and took a, an international tour down to Brazil, which was just fantastic. Uh, and so that, I guess, was kind of the main thing that I focused on outside of that. I was also one of the uh, pioneering members of Luther's Sustainability House, which launched uh, when I was a student there in 2010. And so that was a, a really fun thing to be a part of. And again, just kind of, I think, in some ways embodies the Luther ethos of community and people coming together, 
driven by by specific purposes. Outside of that, um, trying to think, I did some tutoring. I tutored music theory as well as uh, writing in the Luther Writing Center. Um, but uh, yeah, it was mostly music things like jazz orchestra and the composition composition studio. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool that you were part of like the original group that did the sustainability house, because I know that that's Luther's. I mean, I'm sure it was then, too, but it's one of their major focuses right now is all about um, sustainability. Um, just today, I was learning that we're on track for the 2030 carbon neutrality, it sounds like. Um, so, yeah, that's cool that <laughs> you were there when they were just starting to think about at least that particular aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, and the sustainability is, house is great. I I was googling a little earlier to make sure that it was still a thing, and I'm very glad to see that it is. But um, yeah, a really cool kind of mission-driven part of the uh, Luther body that gets to do stuff um, that otherwise I don't know that there would be opportunities for, like you know, figuring out how the solar panel there works, uh, doing vermicomposting, and and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So what, do you have any particular memories about your graduation? And if so, what are they? Yeah, um, I would say that my memories are mostly pretty vague. Like I definitely remember being in school and doing school things a lot better than I do, you know, the ceremony for moving beyond those things, because I wasn't really ready to move beyond those. Um, but we ended up having kind of a hot and sticky graduation. Uh, because it was storming outside and so they had to hold it indoors. Um, I don't know. It, it's a it's a weird feeling when you've been you know, assembled with hundreds of other people around your age who have similar interests or ideals. Uh, and then you just you're all atomized. You you go all over the place. Um, and so I was pretty sad about that, honestly, and uh, just stayed up really late the night before uh, having fun with friends. Um, so I think that's probably why my memories of graduation day are a little bit foggy. But I remember our, our speaker was, I think his name was Arnie Sorensen, um, who was a Luther grad and had gone on to have a really good career in uh, hospitality. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember... Of course, all my family came out. My grandfather flew in and um, uh, kind of one of the weird things I remember was after the ceremony was done, you know, everyone kind of milling around and I go to all these professors who I had really great relationships with and was really going to miss. And it was just weird having the that dynamic of like professor students starting to break down already uh, and just feeling a little bit weird about that. But I guess that's all that really sticks out to me. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that feeling of uh, walking up to your professors after and it's this really awkward, like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna see you again. And I don't know how yeah. I feel about that. And then you yeah. just sort of wave and walk away. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, I mean, you kind of realize that you're both um, like part of this crowd of of students, like you're one of this bigger body. Uh, and so that's, you know, in some ways that defines the relationship between professor and student. But uh, I don't know, there, there are all these instances when you have interactions with professors, when you remember that you're dealing with them, not just as a, you know, a student or a protege or something, but as a, you know, in some circumstances, a peer. Yeah, absolutely. So asking you to remember even a little bit further back, 
Uh, do you have any memories of your first week, sort of that orientation, what rules they laid out as what the expectations were for college? Yeah, I, I definitely remember orientation week. I had taken part in an immersion program. So for a week before the, the actual orientation week, I went backpacking in the boundary waters of Minnesota with, uh, I believe, six other students and one professor. Uh, and so that was a really cool opportunity. It was the professor with was Mark Mugley, who's a great English professor, uh, an expert on Shakespeare. Um, and it was just a really cool opportunity to get to know him, get to know some other students. But it also made the actual orientation week a little bit more difficult. It left me feeling like, okay, I, you know, I know some people, uh, I know a professor, I don't necessarily need to go to all the getting to know you exercises, um, which uh, did become a little bit of a problem just because I realized, oh, you know, I'm not getting out there and making all the friends and associations that I should be making. Um, but I definitely remember, uh, you know, big gathering in big circles with the RAs and they would walk us through the basic rules and expectations. And honestly, most of it, I think, was pretty much what you might expect, um, you know, rules uh, about when buildings are open or or what you can do in the dorms. I don't think that there was too much that really surprised me. And maybe that was really the impression that I got was, okay, you know, I was expecting something really different. Um, but uh, here I am, these rules are a lot like the rules that I had at home. So, so I wouldn't say that I felt like um, it was a whole new world with a bunch of new guidelines and requirements. Uh, it was more that it's kind of a slow sense creeping up on you that things are different now and you have more autonomy, but you also got to, I think, be a little bit, uh, have a better sense of how you fit into the, the community and the student body at large. Um, so, yeah, it was less, you know, seeing a list of hard and fast rules uh, and more, yeah, the sense of both responsibility towards myself and towards the community to follow the the guidelines that everyone is expected to follow. Yeah, I like that word that you just used responsibility as the way that you think about it, just because it does sort of feel more like that, that there's these expectations, but they're not really rules in the way that there's rules, you know, in high school or something like that. There's just this sort of culture of, okay, well, if you do something that's going to get you in trouble, like, you're going to have to deal with that. Like, Right. And, and the idea that, uh, you know, we don't have rules just because that is what is propagated by authority. We have these rules because they are meant to protect, you know, the environment, the, the people, um, the processes. And so without those, you know, systems can start to crumble. And so there is there's definitely room, I think, also for pushing the limits of of what is acceptable or um, questioning why why things are the way that they are, why we have to do things the way that we do. Um, but it still fits within that broader framework, I think, of of, yeah, how can we keep this community running in a way that is uh, um, that can help all people grow? Absolutely. So with all of that in mind, can you tell us about a time that you broke the rules while you were at Luther? Yeah, you know, I was kind of racking my brain trying to think. Uh, there were definitely a handful of, of smaller instances of rule breaking that I wouldn't say carried any great import. Um, I mean, I for sure remember uh, 
climbing up onto the roof of the Center for Faith and Life at Luther, which just has this wonderful sloped roof uh, that allows a pretty great view of campus. Um, some students would, I, I remember, uh, hit golf balls off the top of it, which was verboten. But uh, I just went up there a few times with friends to, to take in the views. Um, and that was nice. You know, it's definitely breaking the rules. And I, I, I'm sure that the campus security was not a big fan of it. But it was also pretty harmless, I think, to most people. Uh, and, you know, thinking back on it now, it did give me memories. Uh, you know, I remember kind of the wonder that we could find up there. Um, and then I would also, I think oftentimes, especially in, in Maine, we would shut off the lights around the time that the building was going to be locked up and uh, let the the building security lock it up and just hang out in the classrooms at night. And that was really fun. Uh, again, I wouldn't say that it, um, it was something that the administrators would have looked kindly on, but overall pretty harmless and um, just, I think, gave a little bit, uh, you know, it was a different place than the dorms. There aren't a ton of places to go when you're in Decorah, Iowa. There are some great places to go, but not a ton. And so having this uh, kind of small scale rebellious act in the academic buildings was definitely a, a fond memory of mine. The, the one bigger instance that occurred to me of when I really just ignored uh, the rules was when it came to my senior recital. So I don't know if all these policies are the same as when I was there 10 years ago, but for music majors, you're expected to give a half recital your junior year uh, where you share a recital with another music major. And then you have the option of giving a senior recital, which I think that the um, performance majors are expected to do, but it's a lot more optional for everyone else. And I thought it'd be really fun. I'd I had put a ton of work into my junior recital, had a really great experience with it, but it was also kind of a formulaic uh, recital, honestly. It was really fun music, but not music that I felt especially attached to, and with only half an hour or so, you can only do so much. And so for my senior recital, I decided that I wanted to make it a little bit more my own. And there are definitely guidelines on what you are and aren't supposed to do for, for your recitals. Uh, one thing that you're not supposed to do is whatever you want. And that was kind of my <laughs> approach was I, I was a really big fan of, uh, of Russian music. I found the Soviet composers super, super interesting. But I also found that it was most interesting when paired with uh, some Russian poetry or some Soviet poetry that I think helped kind of contextualize the move from Russian imperialism to the, to the Soviet era. And I also... You know, it was my my last major performance at Luther, so I did want to bring on some of my uh, my jazz skills, which um, wouldn't otherwise, I think, have gotten to show off. So, without asking my piano professor, I arranged to have a few of my musician friends join me on stage for some uh, some jazz at the end of the program. So I thought this was a great idea. Uh, it was going to be really fun. I bit off a lot. There there were some really difficult pieces that I picked, um, but it was important to me. It was music that meant something to me. I thought all of these works were kind of underplayed and uh, and I was excited to share them with people. So I had, I had a fantastic uh, piano professor the whole time that I was at Luther named Du Huang. And we had a, a really good relationship, just a super, super 
talented, obviously, but also kind and soft-spoken and, and gentle professor who, who I really learned a ton from. But I did not keep him fully apprised of all of these plans for my senior recital. And so as we got closer to the event, uh, he started to recognize that I wasn't necessarily making all the progress that I needed to. And I specifically remember coming in for my piano lesson about two weeks before I was supposed to have my senior recital. And Du was expecting me to play the whole repertoire beginning to end memorized. And there were big chunks that I did not even have in my fingers very well, much less in my mind. Um, and so that commenced a really kind of awkward uh, situation where he basically said, I don't know that you are prepared enough for this. It doesn't seem like you have the, the music known well enough. Uh, it's, I've heard that you're planning on bringing your saxophone on stage and doing some other things that we haven't talked about. And he essentially told me, like, I don't know that we're going to be able to have your, your recital in, in a week and a half. And this just threw me into uh, just a horrible state of, of panic and grief. Um, I had family who, who were coming in. My grandfather had already flown to Wisconsin from Washington, D.C. for it. Um, it was that uh, they were, you know, I'd been putting posters up all around the music building so that everyone knew about this concert and the, you know, the fun sort of Russian theme to it. I'd invited professors. And so now I was here faced with the possibility of having to pass it up because I, I wasn't ready for it and because I had flouted the policies, which I was learning were there for some some pretty good reasons. So I, uh, you know, I, I left my lesson on kind of an uncertain note with my piano professor. Uh, I told him that I was going to do everything that I could to to get things in order, but he was going to need to see how they were before he would give me permission to actually do it. So I left his uh, his office and called my mom and just bawled to her and then found some friends on campus and bawled with them. I was really uh, I was really hurt by it and sad, but I also had to recognize that it was kind of my own fault or it was very much my own fault. I had not done all the work that I needed to to get this music ready to play. I had not taken the right steps to make sure with the administration that this was something I was allowed to do. Um, and then, I don't know, after probably a couple hours of, of wanton weeping, uh, I went to the practice rooms. Um, I was living, I was a senior then, and so I was living in Baker Village, which is a, a group of uh, houses for seniors. And fortunately, there was a, a piano in a room there. And so I just went there and started practicing. Um, and it felt horrible because I, you know, I would play all these parts that Du had pointed out to me and said, these aren't ready yet. And I had to face the fact that they weren't ready, but I was supposed to be playing them in, in a couple of weeks. So about a week passed and I was spending as much time as I could practicing, but I was not the best practicer, which is why I, I wasn't really ready for it in the first place. I remember just kind of my back aching because I was constantly sitting at the piano bench. Um, I remember being so nervous about the state of my fingers because I was using them so much. I had taken uh, rock climbing for uh, an elective um, PE class, and I'd had to ask the, the teachers if I could take a break from climbing and tying knots just because I was so worried about my fingers. Um, but uh, 
I went to my piano lesson the next week and I played things for do. Um, and he recognized that it was at least a, a workable position. And so we found ways to kind of compromise on some things. For example, there were a few pages of music uh, late in this Shostakovich sonata that I was playing that weren't especially difficult, but they were slow and they were weird. And so I just could not get them into my head. And so Du helped me figure out a plan where I would, uh, kind of hiding it from the audience, I would leave the uh, sheet music just flat on the piano and only peer over the lip of the piano when I was a little bit lost. And so that was a solution there. Um, the, the students that I had been working on these jazz pieces with, uh, they were super supportive in finding ways to make it a little bit easier on me. Um, and everything went okay. Uh, I had the recital, it was really fun. There were some downsides that uh, I think were a consequence of how I went about it. I think that, your, that recitals aren't supposed to last more than 50 minutes, or at least that was the case back then. And I felt so bad because mine ended up going for almost an hour and a half and ran right up into the into the recital time of the student who was supposed to go after me. But that was because I did it the way that I wanted to do it. I took a break between pieces to read some some Soviet poetry. I spoke a little bit about why the pieces meant something to me. And then it was also just incredibly gratifying to, after showing all the piano work that I'd been doing, to be able to then switch to saxophone, switch to jazz, and play music that was a little bit more fun, I think both for, for myself and, and for the audience. It did end up being a little bit of a, um, it did cause a little bit of a rift between my professor and I, uh, which is too bad. We had had such a great relationship, but because I had uh, decided to flout the conventions and go forward without his permission, um, there was some some damage done to that relationship. Uh, I think especially my, my parents will never forgive him after I called them just bawling uh, after he threatened to not let me have the, the recital at all. But um you know, it was it was fine. I I have the recording. I was listening to it before uh, before I came to talk to you, and there are definitely a handful of places where it is so clear that I was not quite prepared. But by and large, you know, it's really nice that I have this artifact of my time there and of um, you know the choices that I made that for for better and for worse. And so it all it all went okay, but uh, boy, it really threw a wrench into the the works of what otherwise was a very nice and pretty easy senior year. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I love about that too is the you know reflecting on the idea of having that piece that just sort of exists from your time at Luther. Mm -hmm. um, with all of that, is that there's imperfections in there, and in acknowledging the imperfections, you're also able to say you know like those imperfections are results that I see where they came from and I, I know how they got there yeah that's so true and and as you say that I realize like I think that's kind of true of a lot of my memories from my time at Luther is that they're not necessarily like me performing at my academic best or I don't know making the school newspaper or whatever but you know having to to scramble late at night to get a project ready or when you do screw up I, I don't know I remember and asking a really stupid question in a, a big lecture once uh, and those are the kind, I don't know, those are the memories that stick with me because uh, they were the things that made me feel things, um, you know, going to class every day or doing homework 
a lot of those memories have have slipped away from me but the the things that were either really scary or really fun or really challenging uh those are certainly the things that stuck with me a lot more right right like almost the sting of it or the adrenaline of it or something if there's something that brings you into that moment fully it's sort of like those are the things that stick with you yeah and you know it's it's college and so it's a, it's a time for personal experimentation uh it's a time for growth and intrinsic to growth is missteps and, and pain and mistakes. Um, and yeah, those, those growth moments or even those moments where I realized that I was um, not doing adequate work or, or not doing good enough. Um, definitely those are the things that uh, both stick with me. And I think uh, uh, th that's what Luther left me with is not so much the things that I actually learned in my classes, but getting to experiment, getting to make mistakes, uh, getting to try things with people. Um, and that, that definitely, I think is much more valuable than the, the, the so-called book learning. Sure. Sure. And the other thing that strikes me just like, as you were speaking both there and sort of in your larger story was thinking about the fact that people were working with you, like even throughout that, right. Whether it was your, your professor, even if there was a rift, like finding a way to make it work or the people who you were uh, performing jazz with making it work. I mean, I can think of so many times in my own experience where, you know, I procrastinated, even if it was something simple, right? Like I procrastinated on a paper and I panicked and I wrote it. And then having somebody, having a friend sitting beside me who, you know, it's two in the morning and I say, please, please just read this and tell me what I need to fix. So having those people around you who are also willing to step in and either mitigate or at least walk with you through whenever you might do something that, you know, could have been done a better way. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that it's also what you're talking about is kind of one of the special things about college is having so many of those people around just kind of by default. You know, you have your peers who are around your age and, you know, similar academically, maybe. Um, you have the professors who are, are fonts of wisdom and are also super approachable and, and friendly. Um, just the way that that community is there by default, um, is something that's really special, but also something that uh, I think that I didn't realize very much until I was away from it and didn't have that community by default. Because then you have to go about the same things, but with a lot more intention. You know, if you want, if you have a work project uh, that you're working on at 2 a.m. And, and want a fellow sufferer, you have to go looking for them because you're not in, in a dorm with them. Um, you know, if, if, if you get terrible news you need to go find someone who can help you work through it because they're you're not just surrounded by them and in a place where uh support is easy to come by so so definitely i think that that you're you're onto something with the community being a, a really big part of that yeah absolutely so do you have any advice for students either from this experience or in general when it comes to dealing with all of the rules and expectations that go along with being at college yeah, I mean, I think that um, I don't have any especially original advice to offer, but uh, some things that do come to mind are, first of all, just follow your curiosity and uh, and it will lead you in interesting places. But the corollary advice is uh, 
be cognizant of how that affects the people around you and other people who might have uh, similar goals or interests. I think that reflecting on the relationship between yourself and the various communities that you're a part of is also a, a good way to uh, navigate new rules or uh, expectations because it's it allows for a much more holistic approach to is what I'm doing good or bad than is this you know prescribed by a list of rules. Um, and so I think that that was one of the things that allowed me to to navigate some of these situations where I felt like there was space for me to do something interesting or cool or or whatever. Um, but you have to separate uh, for a moment, at least the part of you that really wants to pursue those things and the part of you that uh, is able to evaluate uh, how and how to go about those things. Thank you, Jake, for being on the Podaya podcast. And thanks to everyone who listened. In an upcoming episode, we will be back with a story about how one student navigated loneliness at college. The Podea podcast is sponsored by the Center for Ethics and Public Engagement at Luther College and produced in partnership with KWLC, Luther's campus radio station. Podea is written, hosted, and produced by Dominique Stringer. It is edited by Asher Elliott Smith. Special thanks to executive producer Andy Hageman, production assistant Matembe Moyo, and theme song composer Andrew Murray. <laughs>